This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Feroz and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and Katie Balls. Well, the Tory chairman, Nadeem Zahawi, has just been sacked by the Prime Minister over the ongoing scandal surrounding his tax affairs. This is quite rare in politics. There wasn't a resignation. Instead, a letter was released by the Prime Minister just this morning. And this has been after weeks of investigation. Um, Katie, what's changed? What's changed is that the Prime Minister has received this morning that report uh, into uh, Nadeem Zahawi's tax affairs, a report that Rishi Sunak only even asked his independent ethics advisor to look into after it came to light that the Tory party chairman had paid a penalty to HMRC. Um, the report is pretty damning um, if you go into its contents. It is multiple breaches of the ministerial code. And of course, this tax row has been going on for some time. I think that where I think uh, this begins is when uh, Boris Johnson appoints Nadeem Zahari as Chancellor. And the point is made that you would expect this to be something which, yes, HMRC and individuals tax affairs are private. As a minister, something that Nadeem Zahari should have flagged. And therefore, first off, uh, a failure to declare the ongoing investigation before July 2022, when he was appointed as Chancellor, means that he did not meet the requirement in the ministerial code. But then later on, um, the fact that when uh, he was being appointed both by Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, it was not brought that a settlement had agreed that there was a penalty. That is another one. And um, his independent ethics advisor finds that this uh, prevented the Cabinet Office and others in government from issuing issuing warnings or appropriate advice. Um, So it's pretty damning. I think you go into there's potentially seven breaches of the ministerial code. It's probably quite a good news report, um, you know, barring anything else coming up from the, from I think both the Simon case and the Rishi Sunak perspective, because it is putting a lot of this on Nadeem Zahawi and the idea that he kept many things private. Um, And, we know that Rishi Sunak said he wanted to wait for this report to come before he did anything has been heavily criticised. He received the report this morning, moved very quickly, but I think given how much is in it, that's not that surprising. Fraser, is this the end of Zahawi's career? Yes, this certainly is the end of his career. It's, it's strange that when um, people were getting ready to succeed Boris Johnson, I was having a chat with one of the contenders who was saying that there's no way Nadim Zahawi would stand for the leader because he had a financial skeleton that would obviously come out of his closet. Now, this sounded quite intriguing to me. I assumed it was non-DOM status, and I tried to follow up, but I, I didn't get very far. Uh, because it was quite... It's one of these things in politics. You can rise to a certain level, but if you go for a big job, a Downing Street job, you can expect scrutiny of a form that any secret you might have will come out. And the sheer drama of having the truth dragged out of you shame-faced will mean that your career will end in in failure and in scandal, as has now happened to Nadim Zahawi. Now, the funny thing is, of course, is that Zahawi, had he not um, continued in politics of this level, would have 
say he'd resigned, for example, um, that's when Rishi Sunak came in, he would have left as, as a hero, as the, the guy who um, came into Britain speaking no English at the age of 10 as a Kurdish refugee, who built a company, who made his own fortune, self-made millionaire, who was neglected in the backbenches by the Cameroons who thought he was a Boris loyalist, and then Boris made him vaccine minister, and then as minister he oversaw one of the greatest sort of successes of, of recent governmental years. You know, that would have been a fantastic story to end your career on. And I guess this was probably what my source was originally saying, that wh why would you ruin that by trying to conceal that you had had an HMRC investigation? Uh, conceal it, by the way, from the Prime Minister, not just from the public. So this is um, what is so strange. And it's not so much Rishi Sunak's letter, but this investigation with its, um, from Laurie Magnus, with its 23 points of it, um, quite a few, quite a huge number of details here. Now, in her cover story this week, um, Katie actually revealed that this investigation might not be long. People thought that Rishi Sunak was kicking it into the long grass, an investigation that would take weeks or maybe months. I mean, look how long the investigation into Partygate took. But no, this was actually relatively straightforward, uh, asking Nadim Zahawi what the situation was and coming to a quick conclusion. Rishi Sunak didn't fire him before because he said he believed in due process. He wanted the investigation to come to its conclusion. Obviously, he, he wanted to accelerate that investigation and has lost no time not just in firing Zahawi, but very unsparing language used in his letter, making it absolutely clear that this was a dismissal and that the chairman of the Conservative Party now leaves in disgrace. Katie, just trying to get into the mind of Nadim Zahawi, why would he allow his career to be ruined in this way? He's obviously known he's had these skeletons in the closet. Why would he not resign before or why has he not kept a lower profile? Well, I think there's a few things going on there. I first sort of think that Nadim Zahari does 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 think that he has not done, you know, as much wrong as the independent ethics advisor is putting in this. And that's not because and that's not to say he is challenging the findings, but I just mean if if you look at all the language coming from his team and his supporters, um, I think there was a few that they, they did think this was settled. I think there's also the question of in politics, um, often people do just think Perhaps to say they can get away with it is a step too far. But I I think there was a sense that there's been so many scandals um, that you can push on with these things. And A, they might not come out. But I think Fraser makes an interesting point in A Peaceful Coffee House, which is there are some parallels between this and the non-dom row that Rishi Sunak had involving his wife. And in that case, just to be very clear, no one found that um, she had done anything wrong legally. Uh, but clearly there is a sense of a, a moral failure in terms of the eyes of public opinion, at least, to have a, a chancellor's um, wife staying in number 11 while, not, while having non-dom status. And therefore, I think sometimes these things, before they become public or are seen in the public realm, can, can be viewed differently when you, when you don't have everyone judging it. I also think there's obviously just a sense that lots of people were saying, oh, you know, me and Fraser, we all heard the rumours saying there is a reason that uh, Nadim Zahari should not run to be Prime Minister. Um, and you do wonder, had he just not sailed quite so close to the sun in terms of taking on that chance of the role, um, as if, if he could have actually just been you know, a mid-tier um, you know, mid cabinet minister um, with this going on, I think that is possible. But that rarely in politics, I think people do, um, you know, 
think the scandal perhaps isn't going to come for them. And we now have had his resignation letter and he, he barely mentions ultimately the, the tax situation in it, trying to focus on other achievements instead. I think for Rishi Sunak on this, as Fraser touches on, the writing has felt as though it's been on the wall for the past week or so. I think ever since Downing Street changed the language, saying, uh, you know, a, it ordered the investigation, but two started changing the language, saying, oh, well, the Prime Minister was not aware of the penalty. Um, it felt as though they were laying the groundwork to let Zahawi go. And despite, you know, figures close to Zahawi saying he's going to fight on it, just it was really hard to find anyone in government who thought that'd be the case. But it means that uh, there are some in the Tory party, also, of course, the opposition saying, well, why did you wait so long? Why did you take such a long time to do this? Now, part of this is down to the fact that not everyone in the Tory party wanted Sahari to go. He's quite popular, particularly with um, Boris Johnson and his backers. Jacob Rees-Mogg this morning has been talking um, you know, sadly about him leaving, but saying, well, he did become the story. I think that this investigation, actually having the specifics, gives Rishi Sunak the, enough cover amongst those who, you know, who, who might have otherwise said it was unfair. Well, you've had questions about your finance, your family's finances, and you're taking robust action here. So I think it, it helps him there. And Fraser, what does this say about Rishi Sunak's judgment, do you think? Well, this is a rather difficult question for the Prime Minister. He is making it clear that he had no idea about this investigation. But then again, he could have asked. This sort of um, ethics advisor apparatus is slightly strange. I mean, there was nothing really stopping Rishi Sunak picking up the phones and Nadim Zahawi and saying, look, before I appoint you party chairman, I want you to tell me anything. Um, how would it look in private eye? If it, if there's any, in other words, is there anything which, if it would emerge in private eye, it would be bad? There's also a line, I think, in House of Cards, which I think the BBC version that should supplant the ministerial code. The ministerial code is even quite technical. It says you mustn't do anything that might be seen to be acting against the rules. I would have another question, which is, I think Prime Minister should ask. They should ask the ministers, is there anything which, if it were to come out later on, I'd think to myself, I wish I'd known that. Now, that is the question that Rishi Sunak didn't ask and probably should have asked. And the problem is that your average voter will not think, well, Zahawi broke the rules and Rishi Sunak didn't. They will see both of these gentlemen as being multimillionaires who wanted to keep elements of their family tax affairs private. Those affairs were eventually brought to the light via investigation and scandal, and both of them ended up having to write uh, very large checks to the HMRC. Um, in Sunak's case, of course, his uh, his wife remains a non-dom, but has now agreed to pay tax to his Sunak's government as if she was domiciled in the UK. Uh, now, neither of them broke any laws. There's no criminality here. In Zahawi's case, he obviously broke the rules. That's why, uh, but in a way that falls short of criminal behaviour. So he was investigated, there was wrongdoing, um, there was carelessness, which in the HMRC language is basically neglect. So this is, nobody can accuse Rishi Sunak of neglect. But Sunak himself didn't really tell that many people about his wife's non-dom status. And when that came out, a lot of people thought about him. Why on earth did, did, he, did he think this would stay a secret? If your wife is one of, is richer than the king and she's non-dom and you're the Chancellor of the Exchequer, then surely that's going to come out at some point. So in both cases, people are left asking, why did these two gentlemen not level with the public initially if there was nothing to hide? And how different the things would be for both of them if they had done?
Katie, just finally, Rishi Sunak's going to want to move quite quickly after sacking the Tory chairman. Do we know who, who might be the replacement? So I don't think we're going to get an imminent appointment, certainly not today and perhaps not for a few days. Um, instead, you're going to have Stephen Massey, who recently took over as the party's chief executive, almost having this interim role running CCHQ. And so I think they're going to be taking their time to work out who to bring in. Obviously, it's one of those jobs where lots of figures, when they get it, aren't actually that thrilled to be um, party chairman. Um, they, they don't see it as, uh, I, I think, the dream cabinet job is some of the more, uh, you know, once we have a large department, of course, you're, you're only attending cabinet. But I think Nadim Sahari, is a, his departure is a loss to CCHQ in the sense that Figures in number 10 were saying this is someone who actually was very infused about the job and um, was very interested, obviously, from his time as YouGov, which we've heard a lot about for a different reason recently, but was very interested in like, the figures, the data and driving it in that sense. And with an election probably about 18 months away, it's a, it's a really ap- important appointment. Um, so you might expect someone in a Minister of State type role currently to be the person they might promote. Would they bring someone back, a former party chairman like Brandon Lewis? But it, I think there is a reason for them to, you know, take us a, a brief period to, to work it out, given the difficult task facing the party when it comes to both the locals and the general election. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Fraser. And thanks for listening.